Today, we're going inside the Dutch Farmers' Revolt. We're talking with Pepijn van Houlingen, a representative in the Dutch Parliament, and we're talking with Michael Jan. Listen, you probably have not been hearing a lot about this Dutch Farmers' Revolt, and that's because of a sin of omission by the media. It's a big deal. They have really important things to say. Today, we go right to the source. We're going to find out why people are so unhappy, why the farmers are so unhappy, and why this movement is now spreading around the world. We are talking now direct from the Hog, from the Parliament Building with Michael Jan and Pepjin. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. It's so good to have you here. I want to discuss what's going on in Holland right now with the Dutch farmers, and we'll start with that and maybe move on to other topics. But uh, first, some introductions. Uh, Pepjan, can you introduce yourself to us, please? Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Uh, my name is Van Houding. I'm a member of the Dutch Parliament for FED, Forum for Democracy. And uh, we are an anti-globalist uh, movement. And uh, we are, of course, very much in support of our uh, farmers. Fantastic. Michael, for my audience who have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, what's your background? Yes, sir. I grew up in Florida. I'm a war correspondent. I was in Special Forces for some years, and so that sort of led me into that line of work later, as I saw the Iraq war going very badly, uh, one of the dumbest wars we've ever done. And then the Afghan war did the same. Uh, and so I spent years in those wars and then uh, in other wars, such as in uh, Nepal and Philippines and just many other places, Hong Kong, uh, conflict in Hong Kong. And so since that time, I've been uh, watching the migration issues, the pandemic issues, because as you know, pandemic, famine and war are part of the same system as is human migration, the, the, the human osmotic pressure, the hop, the push and pull of migration is something that's hand in hand with warfare. So just 10 days ago or so, I was in Mexico and I saw that the, uh, uh, the, the Dutch farmers were having a problem with the, the WEF, as they call it here, the World Economic Forum, uh, the, the dark cult of Davos. And uh, in, you know, I, spent, I lived six years in, in Europe. Uh, I speak German fluently, uh, I lived in Poland, so I'm quite cognizant of what's going on over here. I paid close attention. I was in Europe last year in Lithuania, warning about what could happen uh, with the Russians. I was down tracking migrants in Morocco and Greece and that sort of thing. And uh, so when I saw what happened with the farmers here, I flew from Mexico, uh, came here uh, because the Dutch farmers are the best in the world, which is a pretty big claim to make. But Netherlands is the second largest food exporter in the world. This is an extraordinary country. It always has been. Uh, and and uh, and so I, I, I uh, knew that this was very important. So I've left Mexico tracking the migrants and came right here. And now we're in Parliament. And that's why we're sitting together talking with you, Chris. Well, fantastic. Thank you for that, Michael. And uh, Pepchan, I'm, I'm very you, you started, you said anti-globalist. Uh, I want to start there because this farmer movement, I, I don't know that we can really appreciate it without having the context for it, understanding the, the larger why. So. Let's start there. Um, when you say anti-globalist, first, uh, how many people would you say are on that wavelength with you there in, in Parliament? What, what's the story there? And um, how are you approaching? Why, why that framing? I think it's a very broad movement. We, we are now here together, uh, of course, Michael and I, but also the uh, Japanese journalists. And we have the same problems in our country. Yeah? So we see that uh, much of our uh, sovereignty is called that. So much of our independence is being slowly but surely it's being usurped and it's being uh, taken away by us, by, from us by, by globalist institutions like the World Economic Forum. So just at this moment, just this moment, I got an, uh, an answer from the government with regard to questions we 
we asked about the World Economic Forum. And the answer of the government was, well, we cannot send you this nuclear answer, just a few minutes in. We cannot send you these documents because it, it do doesn't get approved by the World Economic Forum to send you the documents. So we can't control our own government, and yeah, it's, it's true, I think. It's, it's just in. So uh, policy is formed also by the World Economic uh, Forum in this, in this case, uh, and we cannot control it anymore because the documents are, this is the, the public-private partnerships they, they form, eh? that's part of the, the World Economic Forum modus of uh, operation. Uh, we cannot control it anymore, and they, they are in our government at every level, uh, so they, 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 they our ministers, eh? our, our, our secretaries of state, they are sometimes even deaf project leaders, so to say, uh, the WEF is subsidized by the Dutch uh, government. Uh, we have WEF food hubs, food hubs. Yeah? So in our and they want to make um, one big uh, what they call tri-state city from the Netherlands. So they want to combine a part of Germany, Netherlands, and Belgium in one big city-state. But there's no, of course, there's no place for the farmers anymore in that land. So the farmers have to go, and uh, and that's that's uh, and that's a big problem. It's not just a problem I think for, for of the Netherlands, but it's a worldwide problem. So the globalists have, yeah, they have intervened, they have penetrated our governments, and they, they, they top down, they, they, uh, they make policy, and, and, and we, even, we can't control it anymore, even from the Dutch parliament. And we are, I think, the only anti-globalist party at this moment, fully anti-globalist party uh, in the Netherlands, but we see similar movements in other countries, yeah, of course. In, 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 I would say that Trump certainly is anti-globalist, uh, we just talked with a Japanese journalist, uh, the Sankei, uh, there's also new anti-globalist party, so people are waking up in, uh, in the world, and uh, yeah, we, we are very happy to see that it's, it's a fight we're in together, so to say. Understood. Hey, thank you for that, for that answer. I, I totally get it. So this idea that sovereignty is, uh, the, the WF, clearly, they don't want borders, they don't want people to have individual cultures, it seems. Uh, they have a plan, oh. and that's that's great, but they're moving very, very fast, recklessly fast, we would say, from a cultural standpoint. Uh, and, and they clearly, oh. obviously, it ends up with them owning everything and everybody else owning nothing is, you know, you'll own nothing and be happy. They say that. So what I'm, what, what I'm curious about, Michael, we were talking by phone the other day, and you said something that I thought capsulated this very well, which was that when you've managed to unite the the germans and the dutch man you've done something i've seen the pictures now of german farmers coming in and joining this too so to pepchian's point is this spreading i mean it feels like this is now not just a, a dutch farmer situation but that it's actually maybe spreading a bit is that true it's true uh for instance uh the 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 german farmers in saxon uh state in germany have joined up i've seen polish farmers as well uh, explicitly joining hands with Dutch farmers, saying it loud and clear. We are joining with Dutch farmers. So I've seen, we see Germans doing that over and over. Yesterday, uh, German and Dutch farmers were on the border at, at an immigration station because this place is being invaded as well by uh, uh, Africans and Middle Easterners. And it's, it's Soros. It's the, the same WEF crowd, as they call it here, WEF, World Economic Forum. It's the same crowd that's just pumping migrants in and telling them it's, you know, basically you can have all that you want here and so as as you know that they're doing the same to us in may alone we had three hundred and ten thousand in may three hundred and ten thousand illegal aliens into the united states just in may and so they're doing the same here chris and also as you know poland where i lived for two years those farmers are getting upset when you get polish farmers upset trust me it's just not a good thing 
and and the and the Polish farmers are specifically uh, siding with the Dutch and with Germans. So you're not you're uniting Polish and German and Dutch farmers uh, simultaneously. Meanwhile, as you see what happened in Italy yesterday, uh, and uh, and and the Spanish farmers as well. So we've got the Italian farmers uh, doing uh, similar in the in the Spanish as well. So uh, you know this is this is a big deal. And as you know, Nordstrom Nordstrom is now shut down uh, for maintenance. We'll see how that goes. Uh, this is a potential kill shot for Europe, as you know. Uh, this is a, a whole nother topic. I, I watched your latest program first thing I did this morning, and you're you're tracking on this well on the currency and these. I'll let you take that. But but the bottom line with the farmers, it's more than just taking their land to make tri-state city, which is supposed to be a smart city. It's that, but it's also unmooring the farmers from their cultural roots here in Netherlands, right? And uh, so it's a, so that this is a, a typical brainwashing technique that you, which is well described in the book Rape of the Mind by a Dutch psychologist in 1956. Mirlu highly recommended Rape of the Mind. It describes all these things that we just went through with the lockdowns and all these uh, gaslighting that goes on. He describes it perfectly. And so that's what's happening here: taking the land, uh, taking control of food production, food distribution, and just food in general while knocking uh, Netherlands in the head culturally and, and, and just taking it, doing a replacement strategy, just as Stalin did with Ukraine, with the Holodomor, 32-33 uh, famine. Well, there's more to it than that. But and, and anyway, I could go on for hours, Chris, so uh, I'll go ahead and, and stop there. Well, thank you for that. What I'm curious about, though, is uh, I, I tracked the uh, trucker movement in Canada very, very closely, and I'm wondering, first, to what extent did the farmers in, in across all these areas now, but we'll start, start with the Dutch farmers, how much have they learned from that experience? Because we saw the truckers were demonized. They were called, uh, you know, rapists, misogynists, uh, Nazis, uh, racists. They were called all kinds of things. The, the, the media played a big hand in that with the government, you know, trying to push this forward. And I'm wondering, A, how much of the Dutch farmers sort of drawn from that and learned from that? And, and B, I want to know, how much of this content, when you talk to farmers, are they just worried about their farms or are they worried about these larger issues that we're talking about now? Well, how much context do they have? Because the, the truckers in Canada, they had the full context. They understood that this wasn't just about an attack on their livelihood. This was a much bigger thing. The farmers in the Netherlands are, I think, really completely awake. Uh, they, they know what's going on. Uh, you were, Michael, you had a discussion uh, with, uh, with the Dutch farmer uh, yesterday. They're totally tracking. Uh, like yeah. they're, they're like university level tracking on what's going on. Yeah. Well, not these, not the, well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so they, they're completely uh, awake, I think. And, and of course, they know what's going on. And, uh, and the, the same techniques uh, that were used with the Canadian truckers are used here to demonize the Dutch farmers. Okay? So they I've seen it here in Parliament also. They are they are uh, they are positioned as people who are threatening, who are uh, uh, threatening politicians, who are uh, violent, uh, and yet our uh, intelligence services even giving a briefing here in Parliament where they said, well, maybe uh, to parliamentarians, uh, maybe you shouldn't go to a, a farmer rally because your security cannot be guaranteed. And we asked them, okay, what's what what are, what is the evidence? Are, are they threatening anything? They had not any kind of evidence. They just were saying, well, maybe something can happen. And by by sending these kinds of messages, my intelligence service, there, uh, of course, they are making a, a picture out of the farmers that they are violent, that they are dangerous. That's what they're doing. It's very bad. 
Uh, while the while it are the of course our farmers, they are threatened. They are threatened by by being getting extinct. They don't want to, they want to get rid of them. Almost it's, it's, it's a draconian measures they're proposing at this moment. So it's it's the other way around. But that's part of the gaslighting we see everywhere, especially with the mass media, uh, and also here in the Netherlands. But the farm our farmers are quite smart, I think, and they yeah. they know they know what's going on, and they see what's a, what has to be going on in other parts of the grid, like with the Canadian truck. Your, your truckers are totally tracking. Uh, like uh, they really are uh, amazingly tracking. Uh, you know, they shot the police shot at that 16 year old about a week ago. Yeah, that's all. Awesome. Luckily, missed him. Uh, and I've seen a, a longer video. It was yeah. clearly a bad shot. Yeah, he should have never shot. Clearly, a bad, so it's, it's from two sides. It's filmed. So you clear you clearly see that uh, he's not a threat for anyone. No. But the police were saying, okay, he was a threat. And yeah, last week, the minister, the the the, the, the secretary of state, the secretary was saying, like, okay, well. Maybe he was a threat. So, well, it's, it's it's completely clear that he was not a threat for anyone. But they're they're putting out those false narratives. That's what they're doing. And and then of course they are saying, like yesterday, we were on the Dutch news that that we are the ones who are sending sending out this information. Yeah. So it's it's an information war. That's what it is. Yeah. Yesterday yeah. they were attacking yeah. me on the Dutch yeah. news as if I'm a threat. We should yeah. be honored that it's happening. Now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, same. We saw we've seen a lot of the, those playbook tricks, obviously, uh, you know, the media trying to characterize, mischaracterize, you know, they, they do what they do. One of the other things that uh, I was also very, very tight. I know a lot of people who are in the American trucker movement. They got very sophisticated and they had to they had a whole security detail because they had infiltrators coming in constantly um, from security agencies. And they, and they had to have a very, very tight trust network. And if they saw anybody new. Um, boy, they caught a lot of people coming in attempting to cause trouble so that they could make them look bad. Uh, the oldest trick in the book, right? Agent provocateurs. A any evidence of that going on so far? In the Netherlands, we have what they call Romeos, and maybe they are a little bit similar, a little bit similar to Asian provocateurs. You, you see them, you see, there are all kinds of movies on the internet. You see them, they run out of a police van. So they are in a police van, but they run out, they have civilian clothing. They grab someone and they try to, to get him into the into the bus. It's, it's completely insane if you see the videos. And the, these, um, so so there may well be agent provocateurs, kind of people acting. But hard evidence I, I haven't yet um, been able to obtain. But I wouldn't be surprised because again the playbook is the same. That's why it's uh, we have to work together. It's a uh, the, the, the globalists use the same playbook I think in, in all kinds of countries. So probably there are also, uh, we talked about this yeah, a little while about, about agent provocateurs. So maybe they are also operating in, in maybe you have seen them, you are more experienced. Uh, have you seen? I've seen a lot in the United States yeah. and I'm watching for them here. Uh, I haven't seen any yet that I've identified here yeah. yet. Uh, but it is it is the same playbook. It's basically a franchise. So the, th you know, the things that I've seen in, in other countries, whether it be Hong Kong or United States, uh, here, uh, Thailand. I've watched the, you know, I've been in a lot of the, uh, Japan where I've written three books in Japanese on information war. Actually, I wrote them in English translated, but bottom line is it's the same, it's the same franchise with a different menu and it's, it's tailored for every country. Uh, but it's highly identifiable after you've seen it in say two or three. Like I can walk, I can walk in and I know basically how this thing works now. All right. So what are the demands of the like? So given the context, the farmers get it. They got this really high level of context. They're understanding all of this. Where does this go? What, what's the what are the what are the goals of the movement right now? What, what would they be asking for? And um, what what happens next? Uh, where do you think it goes from here? Well, the, the, the government's ob objective at this moment is to try to install a negotiation. 
And I think if the farmers start to negotiate, they will they negotiate their own surrender. That's always how they operate. So because they will negotiate negotiate from a standpoint of getting rid of farmers. That's what they, because the goals don't change. The goals don't change. So um, and the farmers are smart, so they know this. Uh, so I hope they will not fall into this trick and start negotiating, because then they will negotiate uh, with the backs against the wall. Um, so, but that's what the plan of the government because they see the unrest and try to negotiate their way out of them. But again, the goals are the goals, and they, these are globalist goals, and they can't, you can't, they can't change the goals. So the farmers have to go. That's that's the plan. And uh, so I hope the farmers are able to resist. I hope other Dutch people uh, and we see that going on will support the farmers, and that um, yeah they, they will not uh, bow eh, to these to these measures. Uh, but it will be a very hard fight, and at, at this moment, the government is, is, is maintaining the goals. So and the goals are, uh, will, that, that will mean that the farmers have to go. Simple as that. It's like negotiating with a bank robber. Yeah. You know, you just yeah. you just can't do it. Yeah, uh, yeah, Kennedy had a nice statement. That's when you can't negotiate with someone who thinks, it's, okay, everything which is mine is mine, everything which is yours is negotiable. That's, that's how they operate. Right. You cannot negotiate under that kind of circumstance. I, I, yeah, I totally understand that. And um, I was listening to uh, Russia's uh, Medvedev and Putin both saying that, that in trying to negotiate with the West, they're non-serious negotiators, meaning they have that standpoint, which is everything that is mine is mine, everything that yours is negotiable. And even once a negotiation has been reached, the trust is gone that, that the negotiation means anything because yeah. the other side may just decide to abrogate and, and violate the terms of the agreement whenever it suits them. So that makes them non-serious negotiators. So how do you, how do you put, what, what's the path then if you're in negotiation with a non-serious negotiator? Like what, it feels like you can't negotiate. So then what, what's the plan? Yeah, the plan at this moment, I would say is resist. We have to resist, we have to get our country back. And so, and we cannot do anything anyway, I, but it's my strong convic conviction, before we get out of this terrible Euro European Union. Because also these nitrogen, so-called nitrogen problems, they are they have their origin in European treaties. So, and we, we are like a colony in the Netherlands. We are a colony. So we are part of a European empire. It's called the European Union. So, and that European Union is, 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 is sending out all kinds of mandates. They killed our, uh, our fishermen before. Our fishermen, we had world-class fishermen who had a special technique to fish, and it was forbidden by the European Union. We can't fish that way. Why? Because this technique, the French didn't have it, and they could, couldn't compete with our fishermen. So the French used the EU to kill our far, uh, fishermen. So that's how it goes. So we, we have no position until we just like the British, we have to get out of this terrible European Union. That's what our party is founded on as soon as possible. European Union is, is a 100% globalist organization. So, and, and I think it's very difficult to negotiate anything until we get our sovereignty back. That's, that, that, that should be the main goal, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I totally understand. Now, the larger, if we can widen out to Europe for a second, uh, with, you know, Brussels all shot through with technocrats and, and they love to, to regulate and legislate yeah. and do all kinds of fun things. Uh, but what I'm seeing right now is probably the highest level of pressure on the entire European monetary union experiment. We just saw the euro go to parity with the dollar. And we're seeing Germany go through extraordinary difficulties. And by the way, if that Nord Stream 1 does not come back online, we're going to be talking about potentially Germans burning furniture to stay warm this winter and maybe other Europeans as well. This feels like a huge, huge predicament. It makes a lot of sense to maybe hold the line and say, wow, this would be a really bad time for our country to, you know, 
take a whole class of farming out of offline at this point in time. That seems like a very logical argument to me. A, you know, what's the concern for the European Union at this point feels shaky. And B, what's the what's the what's the the vibe amongst the the people, the Dutch people to say, hey, you know, maybe we should be cautious now. We should be more conservative and be careful rather than um, really pushing forward with this big agenda right now. It feels really awkward, the timing of this agenda, given where the European Union is at this time, which is by way I'm looking at it shaky. Do you agree with that? And then also the Dutch people, how are they responding? Well, you know, fully agree that the European Union is very weak, but I think at this moment they are what they call, they're dropping down a the hammer. They're pushing forward mm-hmm. even faster. Yeah, they want to, to, want to uh, uh, install a European uh, Union identity. They, they are planning uh, European taxes. So of course the Euro is a big problem. Uh, they cannot, because the Fed uh, is now uh, uh, raising interest rates. But the ECB, the European Central Bank, they cannot follow because then the, the, the sovereign countries, they cannot pay their debt anymore yeah, because we are not in a political union yet. So there are all kinds of tensions within the European Union, but that, that, that's what they love because when there are tensions, there are crises and then they can grab more power. So mm-hmm. I think they're dropping down the hammer. They're going for broke. They want to, 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 to solidify. They want to make a, a, a really a political union out of it. That's, and I think the citizens, they, they, they will stand for it, they, they, uh, I think, when they see what's going on, because then, then we will really have uh, lost all our freedoms. But that's, I think, the, uh, what's going on at this moment. Yeah. What I would like to add is numerous things. One is courage breeds courage. It's infectious, as is cowardice. And we see courage coming from the Canadians, which spread to American truckers. And I flew out to California, and I drove all the way from California to Washington, D.C. with the truckers. And I was hopping from truck to truck listening to them, learning how they do their business, making a network so I can keep my pulse on the truckers. And they were flying Canadian flags in thanks for the idea of doing this. And now we see the the Dutch doing it. That's why I flew from Mexico to be here. When I see courage, I go to it like a moth to a lantern. And so I saw courage here, and this is important. This is an important battleground. So I came here, and I see it now spreading to Germany, and I see it spreading to Poland. So I may drive over to Poland soon in Germany and, and talk with those farmers and see what's going on and try to spread this courage, which I know we can do. Numerous Dutch have asked me, do you think that we can win or is this lost? I said, listen, I would have never come here if I thought it was lost. I know we can win. Is it hard? Yep, (laughs) it'd be very hard. It's gonna take a lot of work, obviously, but I wouldn't be here if it were were lost. I know we can win. The the WEF, the WE, we're fighting two big monsters, really, CCP, uh, and and you, you talk about CCP all the time in your programs and you talk about World Economic Forum all the time. So I won't rehash uh, things that I see you say because you already have said so many of them. But uh, they are not invulnerable. Uh, they are tough. But, you know, WEF doesn't have an army. They're not that tough. They're like the Wizard of Oz. They're like the guy behind the curtain. They are very smart, but they're not invulnerable. We, we faced many smart enemies in the past and defeated them. So it really comes down to getting a groundswell uh, of people up that just stand up, and we've got that forming. We see it in uh, in, in Netherlands now. We see the government here is afraid. They're, you know, you see the Dutch are flying their flags upside down. Yeah. Normally it's red, white, and blue, and now it's blue. Yeah, that's a very beautiful sign because uh, I, I like it a lot. Of course, we have our flag, and then it's an old tradition eh, to do it upside down. A flag that means the country is in peril. Same with us. Yeah. Oh, same. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and you mm-hmm. see it everywhere now. So. Uh, and we also have the, the farmer, yeah, you call handkerchief. Yeah, the red so, handkerchief. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you also see that in many places. So 
So and that shows that also Dutch citizens are supporting the. I can't even buy a red handkerchief. They're all gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're flying Fantastic. these red handkerchiefs everywhere. I can't find one. I've I've seen them. It's it's beautiful. So that's the the battle is sort of the globalists and the populists or the people. Obviously, there's there's more more people always than globalists, um, and so the globalists are going to be very afraid of of this really catching fire. So we watched the demonization and then the the ignoring of the movements in the media here and the trucker movement and then both in Canada and U.S. So. This is war at this point in time, right? And so war, people think bullets. No, no, wars now are, there's cognitive wars, there's information wars, there's uh, propaganda. To me, that's probably the biggest part of this is making sure that the messages aren't co-opted, diluted, taken over, otherwise ignored. So what's what's the plan now to to really make sure that the messaging and, and it gets out there? Because that's what this really is for the most part. We are fighting an information war right now and it's pretty intense um so what's the plan over there for making sure that the correct messages get out and people get heard yeah so i fully agree it's an information war that's what uh, what man and that's what we're up against this moment and what our party is doing we are uh, quite strong on social media we now have uh, our own publisher uh, we see in the netherlands that people have started their own uh, 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 own newspapers it's called the Dutch de Gezond Verstandkrant, de andere kant. So these are uh, people's newspapers. Uh, and so lots of people are waking up. We see lots of activity, but of course it's outside outside of the mainstream media spectrum. And the mainstream media, they, they, they don't like it. So yesterday, for example, eh, so they see all this is, this is growing quite fast and they have a program and they try, of course, to, to dismiss this all as disinformation, as propaganda. So here you also mm-hmm. on our Dutch television as examples of disinformation. So it's really information war that you have the legacy media, which is, I believe, totally corrupt, versus the, 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 the social media, which they want to cut off. Eh? Because mm-hmm. really, because in a, that's a very big threat we have. Because in, the, in you know, Europe, in the United States, you have the First Amendment. And so you have still some kind of freedom of speech. But they, in the European Union, they really are cutting freedom of speech off. I can give so many examples. For example, Russian broadcasts are forbidden in the European Union. The U.S. made them uh, like an ukaz, an order. So uh, Russian senders cannot be broadcast anymore in the European Union. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. So I have nothing with Russia, but they are so they are killing free speech. That's what they're doing. And the same in our university, universities, the woke agenda. So we, we see that um, uh, we, we cannot make comparisons anymore. We have, we have been sued and we have lost the suit because we made a comparison with the Second World War. So they, they're cutting down. And, and a final example, we have one broadcaster in the public domain, which was founded last year. They are on our side, so to say. And now uh, they are trying to remove this broadcaster from the public space again. So from the, the broadcasting corporations under the, the, the guise of this information. So it's very hard, hard war because they, they're using everything again to, to silence us. And uh, yeah, that's very treacherous. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's is um, this is the first front of the war. Information war is the most important war and war for the mindset. Now, I'm watching. I'm seeing a lot of cracks develop in the story. So I'm not as familiar with how this is played out in your country, but I'm curious to find out. Right now, we just saw. Uh, our FDA said, oh, we can allow these vaccinations in infants, six months to five years. And they just did that in Canada as well. And of course, there's huge amounts of vaccine injuries, which are now coming forward because uh, these are very much not safe. And also they're not effective. So they lost the effective story a long time ago because they actually don't work against these variants. 
the Omicron variants, which aren't even that deadly in the first place, right? Basically not that bad. So now all of a sudden I'm watching, they're starting to lose this battle where people are starting to be able to talk about this. And this is the actual battle we're in. Private knowledge is when you and I and Michael, we can talk about this stuff. Maybe you can talk about it with a few people. Common knowledge is when everybody knows that everybody knows. That's when the story changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the moment yeah. when the, the the murmuration of starlings all flies a different direction. That's what they're afraid of. We're this close yeah. to people being able to talk openly on a bus about this, right? This is the challenge. And, and so I'm wondering, where are we in that story over there? Where are you? Are people being able to start talking about this openly, that this was a bad idea, poorly done, shoved down our throats, and in fact, it harmed a lot of people? I totally agree. So I, I, I can almost sense it, sense, it in a, sense it in a way because you can see that the, the stories are dripping and dripping outside. Uh, out of, with regard to, for, for example, vaccine uh, damage, uh, vaccine uh, problems. And you see, for example, in the Dutch, even mainstream media, you see like, like a little bit scary. You see a title like, okay, we have uh, a 30% raise in, uh, for example, people who have to get in, admitted in hospital. But they don't know the cause. It's like a big question mark. Or we have excess excess mortality. We don't know the cause. So it's so people are saying, yeah, but, but what's going on? So and then then of course, but you can It's still difficult to go deeper and deeper because then they know the journalists, of course, know if they are going are going too deep into the story, they get cancelled. But you see it dripping out a little bit by little bit, and and also the the, the acceptance of uh, the vaccine. So people don't want to get the booster shot anymore. So people are wait. You can see the signs. They're waking up. But still, of course, the main story is, is they try to protect the main story. It's like a prescribed reality. Yeah? So you have to think this in this way. Uh, that, that, uh, Havel, uh, the, the Czechian president, wrote a very nice essay about, uh, uh, about living in truth, about the communism. Uh, you also have to, to, to acknowledge a reality which wasn't real uh, in, in communist countries. Yeah. That was completely, and you see the same, that's typical for totalitarian societies, by the way. So you see this also in the Netherlands. You see also the truth leaking out more and more. Because of course there are still on a scientist who see what's happening. We see the 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 the, the, uh, the, the damage caused, for example, by the the, the vaccine. So so it's it's yeah it's like a crystallization point of this problem. So it's really it's really a, uh, an interesting time to live in. I mean that's but also a very uh, yeah dangerous time. Yeah, and uh, Chris, you did a you did an episode on the common knowledge, the things that we can start talking about on the bus. And that, so mm-hmm. I think you did it about two months ago. It was great. I don't remember the title of it, but I need to republish that one uh, because you you talked about you know the difference between okay we know it but we can't talk about it. But we're I think we're to the point where we can talk. I talk about it all the time. Uh, and you you obviously that is all I'm comfortable putting out here on YouTube. The rest, hey, we go into some other territory. If you want to see that, come to peakprosperity.com. We've got the rest of the interview there. As always, Peak Prosperity is where you find. All of my thoughts, uncensored, unfiltered, and completely exactly what I think. All right. Hope to see you there. Hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you next time.